So I just I want to invite Lindsay to come up. We put together a team of six different women plus Ryan that you heard from last week, and and I just I am so thankful for a team of women who love the Lord, who love His Word, and Lindsay is one that you, you can you'll just if you've heard her before you know that her love for the Word just oozes out of her. She loves to study the word. She loves Jesus and loves pointing us to him. So Lindsay has been a dear part of our Bible study committee for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And so she is part of the group that kind of helps us decide where are we going to go next? What should we study next? And so we're glad that she is a part of that. Lindsay has been married, she said, for a long time. Yes, more than two decades. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and she's got a beautiful family of girls. And she is a stay-home mom who works really hard at homeschooling them. So that is a passion for her. She loves to teach and disciple. So you'll hear her love for teaching, I think, when you listen tonight. So what else would you like to tell us about yourself? Um, that's, that's good. <laughs> no, I'm really... <laughs> I want to get on to the main stuff. <laughs> All, right. All right, well, let me pray as we start. Thanks. All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this dear sister. Lord, I thank you for the way that she is so passionate about digging into your word and sharing what she learns. And so, God, I just pray that you would now give her your strength, that your spirit would come and guide her, that you would help open our hearts to hear the wonderful things that you have in your word for us tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would just be in our discussion groups, that you would just help us to leave here tonight impacted by the things that we learn from your word, that we will not leave here without being changed. Would you transform us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, my girls studied the Revolutionary War this spring, and we read about the grit and courage shown by many when the odds were stacked against them. And we read about that awful moment when George Washington learned that Benedict Arnold had gone over to the British side. Apparently cut to the heart, Washington said, who can we trust now? Ladies, I think we're in a similar situation. Our desires and emotions can be excellent allies, but they can also turn traitor. However, if we listen to wisdom presented in Proverbs, we can learn to steward them wisely making them into strategic servants for holy living and a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you studied along with us this week, I had you look up the meaning of the word heart. As it's used in the Bible, it refers to any aspect of the inner person. So when the Bible speaks of the heart, it means the will, the conscience, the soul, and the center of identity. That heart is relevant to our topic today because it's also the source of our desires and emotions. And such a broad definition begins to hint at the complexity of heart issues. With 81 references, Proverbs has a lot to say about the heart. But there are a few truths that seem especially helpful at the outset of the study. First, Proverbs 29 tells us that no one can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. This reflects a foundational truth. We have unclean hearts. All 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only do we have a sin problem, but according to Proverbs 21.2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So we also tend to be unaware of our sin, judging ourselves more favorably than we should. And on top of the sin and lack of awareness about it, we must face the biggest problem of all. Proverbs 24.12 says, Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? God does judge rightly, and he will hold us accountable for sin. There are no excuses. Ignorance doesn't get us off the hook. Praise God, he provided a solution. In 1 John 1.7, it says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 9, right after it, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through Jesus' payment for our sinful works, we can be made right with God and have a clean heart. If you haven't taken this step of trust, please talk to me or one of your table leaders. It would be a great joy to tell you more about God's solution for sinful hearts. So while that confession and trust in Jesus means we look forward to eternal life with him, I'm sure you've noticed our hearts aren't fully clean yet. We will be perfect without any hint of sin, but for now, we are still a work in progress. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We can fight against it. Here's the other thing you've probably noticed. It is a fight. You must actively resist sin or it will gain ground. Proverbs has a lot of practical wisdom about how to handle our emotions and desires in the fight for holiness. But if you remember just one verse from our study this week, I hope Proverbs 4:23 sticks with you. There, we receive an exhortation. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. To put it in different words, diligently watch over your heart because your heart has great influence over your life. Have you ever tried to walk a dog who wanted to take a different path than you did? It ends up feeling like a wrestling match. Wise living can feel like that wrestling. However, if we submit those desires and emotions to God's wisdom and pursue the help of the Holy Spirit, our wrestling will be more like walking a chihuahua than an exuberant St. Bernard. If we steward our desires and emotions wisely, Faithful living will come more easily. Proverbs 23, 12, and 19 offer helpful instructions about how we can keep our hearts. Regarding the heart, verse 12 says, apply your heart to instruction. And verse 19 says, direct your heart in the way. So not only do our hearts influence us, but we influence our hearts. We can train and shape them. We can cultivate holy and wise emotions and desires. Keeping watch over our hearts will mean we are intentional about how we focus and guide them. The other parts of these commands focus on the ears. Verse 12 says we should apply our ears to words of knowledge. And in verse 19, Solomon says more simply, Hear, my son, 
and be wise. When we choose to listen to something, we shape or direct our hearts. Listening to wisdom should come in the form of sermons, conversation with mature believers, and especially daily Bible study. Of course, there are other voices in our lives too. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 warns, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Because even the company we keep influences our hearts. It's worth considering that movies, news, and social media also shape our hearts. A wise woman will be aware of the voices in her ears, choosing to listen to wisdom. Proverbs shows that directing our hearts should not only include a proactive watchfulness, but also self-controlled responses to our emotions and desires. It is full of warnings about the destruction and death for those who don't exercise self-control. In Proverbs 25:28, a man without self-control is compared to a city without walls, vulnerable and open to attack. Verse 32 of chapter 16 points out that self-control is more valuable than brute strength. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, 1 through 12 says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. The author recommends taking drastic measures, if necessary, to ensure that we are not controlled by our desires. Instead of indulging every emotion or blindly following every longing, we should exercise self-control. It is a trademark characteristic of the wise. It's worth pointing out, though, that we could err in another direction, too. Some may hear the call for self-control and decide it would be safest to ignore our desires and emotions. If you tend toward that end of the spectrum, it may help to remember that God designed every type of emotion and desire with potential for holy ends. Joy, awe, and satisfaction reflect the glory of God and his good gifts. Hunger and thirst can motivate you to meet the needs of your body. Even the emotions you might think of as negative have the potential to glorify God in their right form. Fear can move you to protective or preparatory action. Guilt can urge repentance or restitution. As we mature in faith, we will increasingly delight over glory and mourn over sin. It would also be unwise to ignore what we recognize as sinful emotions and desires because they are valuable warning signals. They can prompt you to turn toward help. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Our creator, sustainer, and shepherd asks that we tell him our troubles. Turning to God in these moments is so expected that God gave us a whole book of psalms filled with emotional patterns of prayer. Remember, we have a compassionate Heavenly Father who has already given his only son to deal with the biggest heart problem. We can trust him to help our hearts grow in Christ-likeness as well. Before we continue, I want to remind you that as embodied creatures, our emotions and desires are not only shaped by how we direct our hearts. Physiology and outside circumstances can also contribute to our emotions and desires. Fatigue, 
illness, hormones, stressful events, and seasons of change may all affect those. And they can serve <clears throat> as valuable cues to address those needs. God gave us good gifts, an extra margin and rest, medicine, healthy foods and exercise, and relationships. Wise keeping of the heart will recognize and act considering these contributors. I also want to acknowledge that our study this week has just skimmed over the surface in these two areas. My hope and prayer has been that God will cause one or two of the verses to land on your heart with special conviction and encouragement. While my talk today focuses specifically on stewarding your own emotions and desires, God does not expect spiritual growth to be a solo journey. Wisdom often calls for us to turn to other believers for help. Proverbs 25.20 says that one who sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Pouring vinegar on baking soda just neutralizes the potentially helpful effects of both. Taking off a coat on a cold day just increases misery. Those observations call us to consider how we can minister to each other as we handle emotions and desires. If you realize you would benefit with help stewarding a particular emotion or desire, our church has wonderful resources. Consider this an invitation to ask me, your small group leader, an elder, or a pastor for extra support with your difficulty. So, since God gave us these emotions and desires, along with the command to keep our heart, it follows that we should develop habits of heart keeping that allow us to steward them well and exercise self-control. So I tried to think of a simple way to help us walk out the biblical principles. I came up with four steps. Acknowledge, pray, test, and obey. If you were thinking maybe acknowledge seems like too simple a first step, I would submit to you that this is probably the one we miss the most. Perhaps you recognize the experience of getting good news and suddenly your shoulders are more relaxed than they have been. Maybe you've given a curt answer and realized in the second afterward that you were still bitter about an earlier reaction. I think of acknowledge like an internal experience of accountability, a moment of honesty with yourself and God. It might lead to confession and repentance or just a call for help, but you must be aware of your emotions and desires before you can make them your servants. Step two, pray, does not require you to leave the room and get on your knees in a quiet place, though that may be a good idea. God is pleased with a faith-filled heart that says, I need you, you're trustworthy and good, help. Our desperate prayer in that moment glorifies God. Pray is also a good second step because you won't be able to make your emotions and desires into allies without his help. You can't get the fruits of the Spirit without the Spirit. You will have no patience, kindness, and gentleness to respond in love. Step three is test, by which I mean ask some questions about that emotion or desire. Hold your heart and your thoughts coming out of it up to God's word. Compare it with what you find there. And finally, the obey step asks, how can I respond with wisdom? What does obedience to God look like right now? Keep your heart is a lovely phrase to embroider on a pillow, but it's hard to imagine out of context. 
So I decided to make a case study out of one emotion and one desire based on the wisdom of Proverbs. We'll start with an emotion that Proverbs addresses more than any other, anger. Because God is a generous provider, he let me practice this. <laughs> I really mean that. I'm grateful for the practice, and I bet we'll all be glad for the training when there are bigger things on the line. While writing this portion of the talk, one of my daughters came in from cleaning the van and asked where she could find the Windex. I finished typing my sentence and thought, you have been cleaning windows in this house as a part of your weekly chores for no fewer than four years. Why now, when I am doing something that requires whole thoughts, do you suddenly lose the ability to check any of the three places we keep a bottle, one of which is six feet from where you currently stand? Did you hear all those numbers? I was ready to use statistics. I was annoyed and exasperated. I was angry. Acknowledging anger was my cue to turn toward the Lord. Pray might be as fast as my initial and silent, Lord, I'm frustrated. Help me to handle this interruption well. For me, test went like this. What does my anger reveal that I believe right now? It showed my belief that I deserved uninterrupted time to write for Bible study, and this child should not have asked me to get the Windex. Was it wrong to want uninterrupted time? Well, my writing was seeking to obey God's commands to serve in the church and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. But if I neglected the other responsibilities the Lord had given me, my desire for uninterrupted time could have caused me to sin. This particular interruption came obviously connected to another responsibility, parenting. Was she really in need of a rebuke? Maybe. I had asked them not to interrupt me, but perhaps, not having done much Bible teaching herself, she didn't realize how a train of thought could be interrupted by the 10 seconds it takes to look under the kitchen sink. She would have had to take her shoes off and then put them on again, which takes much longer. If she was doing math, the numbers would have favored me for Windex retrieval. Was my anger urging me toward Christ-likeness? James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There is such a thing as holy anger. Anger can move us to restore righteousness and accomplish justice. But reflecting Jesus was not the motivation of my internal rant. I wanted life to be easier. By God's grace, those biting statistics and demeaning question didn't leave my mouth. I doubt those angry words would have spurred her on to love and good deeds. This prompted me to confession and prayer for help to answer her well. I also have to tell you, it helped tremendously to have recently read all the anger texts and considered the consequences so helpfully laid out for us. Did I want to act foolish, stir up strife, and exalt folly? Nope. Of course, we won't be able to do this if we don't have God's word at the ready. It made a difference that I had been listening to wisdom. So what did obedience to God look like? In that moment, I did need to steward my time well, but I also needed to clarify and help my girl stay on the path to obedience. I could have snapped out an answer refusing to believe that God could use the interruption for good, or I could trust his timing right as I began this case study on the anger section of my outline. <laughs> 
After a very brief meditation, I matter-of-factly reminded her that I had asked them to keep interruptions to a minimum and told her to find the window cleaner by herself. These practical steps of acknowledge, pray, test, and obey are good steps to help us exercise self-control with our desires, too. Unlike the more scattered verses on anger, Proverbs has a highly focused section in chapters 5 through 7 where Solomon gives practical advice and provides a case study. And that is God's gracious provision again, because it's hard to say who's more relieved that I don't have to use a personal example here. In in the same way Proverbs warned us about the consequences of anger, Solomon also listed the consequences for those who don't follow God's guidelines on sex. And there are a lot of bad outcomes. According to Proverbs, people who practice sexual immorality give up honor, wealth, time, strength, and health. In the end, they have regret, punishment, wounds, and a life in ruin. Our pastors did a fantastic job of covering the meaning of these passages. So if you haven't heard them, go soak up their wisdom. Solomon surrounded his commentary on sex with five separate pleas for his son to guard his heart by listening to wisdom. He said to his beloved boy, my son, be attentive to wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. In 620 and 21, he spoke of his wise counsel saying, Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. In other words, keep wisdom close to you. Guard your heart with it. Solomon started by telling us that the man in the story was lacking sense. He had not pursued wisdom. So the obvious question for application in our lives is, am I pursuing wisdom? I'm glad to see you here, because this study is a great place to do just that. Let's turn to Proverbs 7 and read Solomon's story about a young man who did not keep his heart with all vigilance. It's a negative example, but we can read it next to biblical guidelines and see what should have happened instead. And we can use it as an opportunity to reflect on our own hearts. One of the best guides for wise living with sexual desires comes from Proverbs 5, 8. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Not coincidentally, in chapter 7, Solomon talked first about the setting. Verse 8 describes the young man passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. He purposely walked towards sexual sin. Then Solomon also pointed out the time of day in verse 9. This man goes out, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Next, we hear about the woman who also chose sexual sin. Verses 10 and 11 tell us that she dressed seductively, spoke loudly, and went places she would be hard to miss. We can surmise she had hopes to be noticed and pursued. Because this is a sensitive subject, I asked some of my wise friends for help and input, and God was faithful to provide through his people. One wise woman said, this discussion of streets and roads, which lead to sexual sin, 
might be a good point to ask, what stirs in us so that we veer off paths of wisdom and play around on paths of sin? She pointed out that it would be helpful to acknowledge the particular desires which are most likely to cause us to stumble. Are we like this woman, desiring to be noticed? Do we want to be pursued and intimately known? Or do we have longings for physical pleasure or an escape from boredom? She suggested that our desires might lead us to believe a sinful path would be the best place to have those desires fulfilled. It is good to remind ourselves that sin makes promises it can't keep. We will not feel satisfied if we seek to satisfy our longings outside of God's ways. Verse 12 reveals something else about this type of temptation. It describes the forbidden woman as one who lies in wait. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober-minded, watchful, because our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must be watchful over our hearts because temptation doesn't only present itself to people who are pursuing sin. There are less obvious situations in which we set ourselves up for a fall. Phones, computers, books, movies, and TV all have the potential to put us on the path of temptation. It may start innocently with an accidental click on a wrong website, but even when we are alone, we may be tempted to follow our sexual desires into sin. A wise woman will become aware of her vulnerabilities and seek to avoid those situations. In verses 14 through 20, the forbidden woman lies to the foolish young man and to herself. She suggests they can both have immediate gratification with no consequences. In verse 18, she twice refers to this quick thrill as love. If we would not be fooled by lies, we must have God's word in our ears, shaping our hearts, and we must constantly test the messages around us. Then, notice the mention of the heart again in 725. Solomon warns his son, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Stewarding sexual desire is an issue of directing and keeping watch over the heart. As with our other desires, we shouldn't ignore sexual longings, but instead, when we become aware of them, we should turn to the one who made them. God created sexual interest and desires with good purposes. Outside of marriage, They can put you on the lookout for a good marriage partner, motivated to make a lifelong commitment. During marriage, those desires can keep a woman close to her husband, strengthening their relationship, possibly even bearing the fruit of children. And since marriage is an earthly picture of Christ's love for the church, the desires meant to be fulfilled in marriage also point to a greater reality for us. For all of us, no matter our marital status, sexual desires point to the longing to be the intimately known and deeply cherished bride of Christ. As far as obedience goes, God's boundaries for acting on these desires are very straightforward. If you are not married, you must wait for God's provision of a husband. If you are married, 
Obedience means following the commands in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. In short, you should enjoy your spouse and be satisfied in your own marriage. In either case, you are invited to know God's love better by trusting him to fulfill all the desires of your heart in his perfect timing. I hope you got to read and study the example set by Wisdom Incarnate this week. Jesus modeled perfect stewardship of his emotions. He wept over the consequences of sin at the tomb of Lazarus. Luke 10, 21 talks about Jesus rejoicing as he witnessed God's will accomplished. And in Matthew 9, 36, we learn that he felt compassion for the people he ministered to. In Mark, we read about Jesus' anger. And I must admit, this text was not on my mental list of moments Jesus was angry. And I suspect that's because anger feels so unfamiliar to me in its holy form. Let's look at it together. This is Mark 3, 1 through 5. You'll see it in your book, or you can turn to it in your Bible. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man who was there with a withered hand and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So that's your setup. They is the Pharisees, who should have had hearts better shaped by God's word than most of the people living near them. And, uh, and they were looking for a reason to get Jesus in trouble. Look at the text again, starting in verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. They refused to answer, lest they somehow lose their ability to trap and destroy him. And then in verse 5, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Notice the effects of how Jesus stewarded his anger. Healing and restoration for one touched by the consequences of sin. Rebuke to those who had been leading God's people astray. Instruction, clarity, and lifted burdens for those who had been struggling under the unnecessary pharisaical laws. In his anger, Jesus accomplished the righteousness of God. Jesus was a man with human desires, too. He was hungry, probably near starving, when Satan told him to turn stones into bread. But he refused to allow a legitimate bodily desire to compromise his holiness. We even have a record of a moment in Mark 14, 36, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he told God of his great desire not to face the cross. It says, He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. He did not allow his desire to avoid suffering, to throw him off the path of obedience. He poured out his heart to the Father, resolved to submit to God's wise plan, and endured the cross for the joy set before him. 
Like George Washington, we are at war. But ours is a much more important fight. We are involved in the spread of a kingdom far bigger than the United States. The good news, the decisive battle, was won not too far from Gethsemane. But we're still called to advance the holdings for our side. Don't allow your emotions and desires to master you. Instead, by the power of the Spirit, let your emotions and desires be servants who lead you closer to the one who satisfies every longing, in whose presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Washington asked a good question. Who can we trust? North Church women, reject our culture's lies. You can't trust your heart, but you can look to a trustworthy savior. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, would you cause our conversation in the rest of this evening to overflow with your word and evidence of your grace. Strengthen us to present our bodies with their emotions and desires as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you as our spiritual worship. Help us to keep watch over our hearts so that we are not conformed to this world, but instead let us be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing we may discern your will, knowing what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need your help to live wisely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And before I dismiss you to discussion, um, I wanted to remind you that these issues are close to the heart and as such are often really sensitive. So speak with great care. Be really loyal as you talk about relationships. Be gracious and be general about things that should be private. <laughs> Thanks so much.